Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to Psalm 23. The text is also printed in the bulletin, and there are some Bibles available in the back there by the children's materials, if you need one. Psalm 23, it's one of the most familiar psalms, um, even among non-Christians, when when Christians start reciting it, which most Christians can probably start reciting Psalm 23. A lot of Christians have it memorized, but when they do, uh, even around non-Christians, they'll start to recognize, yeah, yeah, I know that one. Um, And and for good reason, right? It's it's um, it's an expression. Psalm twenty three is an expression of personal confidence in the Lord's goodness, which is comforting. The expression itself, saying it out loud, is helpful. It's comforting to us. It's a it's a cheerful celebration of the relentless goodness um, of God that uh, that lifts our spirits. It's a, it's a devotional insistence on God's trustworthiness that really anchors our souls. When you read it, better when you, uh, when you meditate on it, or even best when you pray it with faith, uh, then you don't just know something about God, you know something gripping about God. It's something that's understandable and helpful to children on the one hand. It's really accessible pretty simple language, pretty simple ideas. And on the other hand, uh, it's still profound to the wisest Christian. And very simply, what Psalm 23 communicates and the thing that we can hold on to as we look through it now uh, this week and the following two weeks, so three, three-week kind of a mini-series on Psalm 23, the basic message is this. God really is good. He really is good even to you, even to you. Pretty simple, right? Uh, the whole Bible is a reliable testimony to that truth. God is good, and he's good even to you. So you really can place your confidence in him. That's the point, is you can place your confidence. You can respond to God's goodness. You can respond to who he is by having uh, confidence in him, by placing your trust in him. You really can find your security in knowing this God. You really can find rest and peace in knowing this God. So this is, uh, as Commentators uh, kind of categorize psalms. They put them into categories. This is, this is called a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm of confidence or trust in the Lord. And um, so being a psalm of confidence, kids, I'm sorry, if you were watching Sesame Street this week, you were misled because I think it was on Monday, the word of the day was confidence. And, uh, and they defined it as, uh, as believing in yourself. Confidence, believing in yourself, right? Finding strength within. That's not what confidence is. Sorry. Uh, Sesame Street's wrong. Confidence doesn't mean believing in yourself or patting yourself on the back enough or having somebody else pat you on the back enough and say, I believe in you. You can really do it, you know? Um, That's not what confidence is. Um, Real confidence, real courage to live and real strength to live in a, in a life that's unpredictable, uncontrollable, a lot of times difficult and painful, real confidence to live comes from knowing that the one true God, the one who stands at the very heart of reality, the one who's behind everything, the one who made all things and maintains all things and rules over all things, it's knowing that this cosmic Lord, he really is good, even to you. He's really taking care of you because of who he is. 
not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is, that's always been true. He's good even to you. And that will never change. That'll never change. And that is the truth that your heart and your soul can just lock onto for confidence and courage and strength to live. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we begin our study of Psalm 23. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we hope that you would give us clarity as we consider your word. This, This psalm is fairly clear, and yet there are a lot of obstacles in our minds and our hearts to hearing what it says, to believing it, to living as if it were true. We pray that you would overcome those things through the gift of your Holy Spirit, change us from the inside out, renew our minds and our hearts so that we would be able to receive your word with gladness and that we'd be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as you go through the short psalm, you've got two main uh, images, metaphors, um, ways of talking about God and our relationship to him. You've got the, the shepherd image in verses 1 through 4, um, and we're going to take two weeks to explore that. Really, that we're just starting this week to explore what it means that God is our shepherd, uh, that the Lord is our shepherd. And then uh, in verses 5 and 6, that, that he's our host, he's our friend, uh, he's our companion. So, <clears throat> So we're beginning to look at what it means to say that the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherds are a fairly big deal in the Bible. I don't know if you've read through the Bible, paid attention to that. Um, shepherds are all over the place. Right? The first man, Adam, he was a gardener. That's usually what we think. He's also a shepherd, right? He was, he was given dominion over all animals and told to take care of them. Right? So uh, <clears throat> he was a shepherd, Adam was, and his son Abel was a shepherd, and then later down, down the line, Abraham was a shepherd. And his grandson, uh, Jacob especially, is uh, known for being a shepherd. And then much later, Moses. Right? Big names. Big names as you consider the course of history in the scriptures. Uh, Moses for 40 years was a shepherd in a pretty tough uh, place. <clears throat> and, and then young David, um, young David who would be king of Israel. He was a shepherd king. First, just a boy, kind of a nobody, that guy that you forget about because, yeah, he's just a shepherd out there in the fields. And, um, <clears throat> and then, of course, you have the, the shepherds in Bethlehem um, at the birth of Christ. So, so there's probably something important we're supposed to learn here from that, the fact that most of the big names in Scripture are uh, shepherds. 
it's not that God looked at shepherds, saw them doing what they were doing, and said, hey, you know what? There's a good image there waiting to be capitalized on, <laughs> right? There's a good analogy waiting to be drawn here. Uh, instead, instead, we need to think about it because God came first. Um, that there, God has a, a quality of shepherdness, if you will, and, uh, and he decided to make shepherds a thing in order to tell us about himself, in order to disclose something about his true nature and character, he came up with the idea of shepherds. So <clears throat> from the very outset, God made humanity in his image, people who would reflect aspects of his nature and his character. All of us are supposed to do that. All of us do that in some way. Um, but from the very outset, he made humanity in his image, and he created them to be his representatives in the world, to stand in his place, actually, with regard to the rest of creation. And, and so he placed Adam among all the creatures to tend them and care for them. He placed Adam as his representative, as a shepherd, among all the creatures to tend them and to take care, for them, care of them. So there's something about God, there's an aspect of his eternal identity that is reflected in shepherds, in humanity, caring for the little beasts. Right? Um, <clears throat> now, that has all sorts of ramifications for our relationship to the rest of creation and animals. Um, but the metaphor of Psalm 23, doesn't, it's not really talking about us in the shepherd's place. It's, it puts us in the sheep's place right? as the ones who were, uh, were being cared for by God. We're the sheep in this metaphor, right? And that really is a common usage of the metaphor in the Bible. In Genesis 48, Jacob is blessing uh, Joseph and uh, he blesses him by the God who has been my shepherd in, my, uh, in all, my life to, uh, all my life long to this day, he says. And Psalm 100, pretty familiar, I think it was our call to worship last week, uh, he says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So it's a fairly common image for the scripture to place us in the position of the sheep with God as our shepherd. There's also this idea throughout the Old Testament that God's people would have a man over them. We'd have a man over us as a shepherd. Uh, in Numbers 27, Moses is praying as the, the people of Israel are out in the desert wandering around. Um, Moses prays that God would appoint a man so that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So Moses asks God to give Israel, a man, as a shepherd, so God calls Yeshua, Joshua, uh, to lead the congregation, to lead them where? Green pastures, right? The promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. That's what God's shepherd is going to do. And, uh, and the people of Israel told uh, David later, who wrote this psalm, um, they told him in 2 Samuel 5 and 1 Chronicles 11 that, the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd over my people Israel, and you'll be prince over Israel. Right, so there are plenty of times when um, it became obvious that these, these shepherds, they were temporary, they were faulty. Um, the human shepherds of God's people were really botching the job, and God lamented and got fairly upset. That it was as if his people had no shepherd. They were being taken advantage of in a lot of ways. In Ezekiel, in his prophecy in chapter 34, it's a big chapter about shepherding. And, um, you know, the, the leaders of Israel, especially the, the religious leaders of Israel, had done a very poor job um, 
in that role as shepherd of God's people. And so he condemns them. And in Ezekiel 34, he says, The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So he'd placed leaders of his people as his representatives to care for his people as shepherds care for the flocks, but they'd not represented him. They'd been self-serving. They'd taken advantage of the position that he had given to them, and they'd neglected the people under their charge, which God would not tolerate. So uh, God would take the role upon himself. He would search out. This is what Ezekiel 34 is all about. He would search out and rescue the strayed lost sheep. He would bind up the injured, and he would strengthen the weak. He would make them to lie down in good grazing land, the text says. Um, he would feed them with good, rich pasture. He himself would be the shepherd of their sheep. And so he says in verse 22 and following, I will rescue my flock, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So... Um, so God himself would shepherd his people, and he would install his human shepherd prince over his people. And you hear uh, more about this in the prophecy of Micah, a familiar one to us uh, around Christmas time anyway. Um, you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, uh, from ancient days, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And then along came Jesus, born in Bethlehem, born in David's city, surrounded by shepherds coming in from the fields where they were tending their flocks. The imagery is all coalescing on this person. And when, um, as Dave read in our gospel reading this morning, when he saw the crowds in a desolate place, valley of deep darkness, valley of the shadow of death, when he saw the crowds in a desolate place, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he commanded them, he made them to lie down, he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass, green grass. There's a link to our text. And he fed them, and he took care of them like a good shepherd. And when people, um, at another time in his ministry, when people who were impressed with their own righteousness thought they deserved something because... Uh, they were good people, people who were impressed with their own righteousness. They complained that he seemed to be spending too much time with those really bad people, probably don't deserve him to spend time with them. He told them this parable, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, 
if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So he came to seek and to save the lost. It should be good news for people like us if we're honest with ourselves. He came to seek and save people like me, to bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, to provide true nourishment for his people like a good shepherd. He says that about himself in John uh, chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the ultimate shepherding. He's bringing us to, to true rest. He's nourishing our souls. He's leading us to true righteousness. And Peter, uh, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2. He says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He's leading us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Jesus took care of us, even though it meant his death on our behalf. That's what kind of shepherd he is. The Lord Jesus is the good shepherd as both God and man. Two natures. He's both God who says, I myself will be their shepherd. And he's, he's the man whom God placed as the representative over his people. God himself, the shepherd of his sheep, and the, the perfect human shepherd prince. Adam, Abel, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, uh, just shadows of the Lord who is our shepherd. And Derek Kidner says that this, this concept of the shepherd is the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor yet encountered in the Psalms. The shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to it. Guide, physician, and protector. Shepherd who have no, uh, sheep who have no shepherd, they're in big trouble. The shepherd is everything to his flock. Jesus is the one, then, guiding you through the landscape of this world, through life with all of its unpredictability, uncontrollability, pain. He's the one guiding you through it, leading you through life with an eye toward what is good for you. That's what the shepherd does. He knows where the green grass is, and the sheep don't know. The sheep think, hey, where we are is probably good enough. Right? But, um, but the shepherd knows what is good for you. Sheep don't, don't know what's best for us. Um, the shepherd does. Sheep think, oh, look, hey, there's some bright, shiny flowers. I think I'll eat them. They, they look like they'll taste good. The shepherd knows that eating those flowers will make the sheep's face fall off, and the sheep will die. <laughs> it's a real thing. Um, so they, they corral the sheep into the green pastures. Right? <clears throat> there are a lot of things, a lot of things in our lives uh, that we just know would be good for us, but the shepherd and overseer of our souls, uh, he knows what's best, and he's watching out for us, and he's bringing us to good grass, and he's bringing us to calm waters. Sheep with a good shepherd don't need to stress out. We don't need to stress out. We're not in control 
Anxiety is, is uh, it comes with control, with the idea that we're pretending to be in control. We don't, we don't need to have anxiety. We don't need to stress out because we've got a good shepherd. Our souls go after all sorts of things, um, looking for ultimate satisfaction and ultimate happiness, but he restores our souls. He fixes what's wrong with us. He brings our souls back into proper alignment. Right? He changes the, the direction of our souls. He redirects them to where there is true life, which is in God alone. Ultimately, Jesus isn't just leading us to worldly sustenance, uh, worldly satisfaction. You know, that picture of him sitting people down um, in groups on the green grass as a fulfillment of Psalm 23, that picture of him doing that to, to feed them that meal, um, that was a sign that he's doing this on a cosmic scale, on a, on a spiritual level, that ultimately, even if we don't have a meal or two in a row, uh, even if we're not being fed a king's feast every time uh, that we eat, ultimately, if we don't find worldly, earthly sustenance and satisfaction that lasts forever, um, we've got him. He's leading us to, to the one true God. He's leading us to the one who stands at the very heart of all reality. He's behind everything. He's leading us to the one who made all things and maintains all things and rules over all things for our sakes, to God as our real fulfillment, our real sustenance, our real satisfaction, our real peace in this life and the next forever and ever. That's the kind of shepherd that he is. So the one who can say, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, can say that the best man who ever lived, the perfect man, and not just a man, God himself, he's watching out for my good. God is good, even to me, even to you, right? The one who can say, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, and everyone may say, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. Everyone can say that through faith in him. The one who can say that can say, God really is good to me. And knowing that, and knowing him, knowing this God, what more could you ever want or lack? Even if you lack some earthly sustenance, earthly fulfillment, earthly health, even if you lack earthly life. What more could you want or lack knowing this God? It's like Karl Barth said, uh, the quote that's in the beginning of the bulletin, any lack can consist only in the fact that our eyes are closed to the glory of God and that therefore we resist his rule over us as shepherd. So open your eyes. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's your shepherd. In him you have a God who's good, even to, to people like you. Let me close with a, a reference to uh, Revelation, which is a reference to our psalm, I think. A multitude from every nation is gathered before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day when um, we will see you face to face, when we'll be in your presence, and your presence will shelter us from every evil thing. It will, in fact, wipe out all evil, and um, only good will remain, only love. Only you and us and a right relationship, every tear wiped from our eyes, every need met, no want, no lack, because we see you face to face, our great shepherd. We pray that that vision and that hope would be real to us. We pray that we would know that it's assured and guaranteed to us because you gave yourself for us. You've already fulfilled what it means to be our good shepherd, the shepherd and overseer of our souls, because you've taken our burden and you've led us to God. You've given your life for us. So what will you withhold from us? In you, we have every good thing. And we want to say that, um, we want to remember that, we want to profess that before uh, the world, we want to latch on to that for our own hope and our confidence to live this life um, as sheep who are content to follow their shepherd wherever he may lead, because we know it's good, because you're leading us to God. We pray that you would help us to remember you as our shepherd. We pray in your name. Amen.